G'day guys, Luke McElroy from Mess Performance Consulting. Welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets Podcast, episode number 150. Uh, joined today by Nick and Tyler, and we're going to talk about oxygen kinetics and how an athlete um, can transition from being very successful in one endurance sport and being just as successful in a different endurance sport when it works really well, but maybe sometimes when it doesn't work, just based on our experience of done, of, oh, how many tests we've done, I don't know, a couple of two, 3,000 VO2 max tests and what we've seen with oxygen kinetics and things like that. So I'm going to throw it straight to you, Nick. Can you give the listeners a quick overview of oxygen kinetics and what it is, fast versus slow, and then maybe one or two things that you've seen comparing data sets from different endurance sports in the lab? Yeah, so really quickly, oxygen kinetics is just looking at basically how, how fast or slow can you get your oxygen consumption up. So based on different types of different types of sports, they're going to have different movement requirements. So the, the obvious one that we can use an example is if you think of a cyclist versus a runner cyclist, it's predominantly hips down. So there's not much muscle mass involved. So that's going to not limit, but it's, it's not going to provide a massive um, need to get oxygen consumption up quickly because we're only supplying it to major, majorly the lower half of the body compared to something like running, or we could even talk about rowing as well, that's more full body dominant. So you have more muscle mass involved, uh, more moving parts, which is going to require greater oxygen consumption. So naturally, we're just going to get our oxygen consumption up there faster, um, which which would mean in uh, from a practical standpoint, in terms of things like an interval session, it, it typically means that if you had a look at, well, how quickly do we get to something like VO2 max in two minute efforts or three minute efforts that we've we've talked about previously, something like cycling probably just takes that little bit longer just to get that oxygen consumption up in that first effort. Whereas running might be, it would be a little bit fast. We get there, get to that near maximal oxygen consumption a lot quicker um, at the beginning of that effort, uh, which then has implications in terms of how much volume you need to do uh, of number of efforts in, in those sets for each of those sports. So we're just looking at like how well or how fast can you get um, oxygen consumption up? And it's heavily dictated by the type of activity you're doing. And I guess a good, um, a good indicator for that is like for runners, you might only need 15 or 18 minutes of, of interval time for, to get the accumulated six to 10 minutes of time at VO2 max versus cycling might need something like 30. And then what you see with swimming, which is the slowest of the three um, is that, you know, it's partly tradition and, and, and partly due to the kinetics is that you always have a, a short recovery right now. I don't agree with a five second recovery in between an effort, but you're not going to do a one-to-one -one work to rest ratio for swimming. You're not going to do a minute 30 and then have a minute 30 rest on the wall. You need to do a minute 30, maybe you go off 30 seconds or 15 seconds. I, I'm not a big fan of going off one or two or five seconds because you're probably not going hard enough, but you don't want to have a big rest in swimming or, or even cycling because you want to keep the oxygen consumption high. And the best indicator to look at is, I mean, obviously we've got the lab data to look at, but just look at your heart rate and like, where do you get your heart rate the highest, the quickest running, right? You're going to have a higher for most people, unless you're really good at cycling and not good at running, for example, you're going to have a higher max heart rate um, running and it will get up there quicker. And we see that in the lab. Like I always say, I always say to people, look, on average, you're going to have about a seven beats higher heart max heart rate um, running compared to cycling. And your zones will be at least seven beats lower when you're cycling compared to. So if your zone two for running is 140 to 155, you know, it's going to be lower for cycling. It might be 130 to 140 or something like that. Um, that's definitely the major thing that we see or that I see in the data is heart rate being significantly higher running compared to cycling. Um, in terms of VO2 max, often it's quite similar, which is interesting. 
Um, but yeah, the, the max heart rate numbers, and I think people can see that themselves. Like if you go out, you know, I don't know, I just picture like you start a run and you can be gassed pretty quickly versus cycling. I don't know, it takes a little bit longer for everything to get up there. Are there any other trends that you see in the data, Nick, other than heart rate? I know that's a major one that, that we can see and people can see themselves. Is there any other notable differences in between sports, cycling versus rowing versus triathlon versus swimming, maybe? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, heart rate's the, the obvious one. Even with, I mean, training zones, the, the common thing is with someone who's reasonably equally trained across, say, cycling and running, so you take a pretty well-trained triathlete, you, you well, most people anyway, are going to have that sort of seven to 10 beats higher heart rate um, across the board in terms of their training zones compared with running being higher, obviously um, compared to their bike. But then we also see things like ventilation tends to be a little bit higher on the bike. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. A little bit higher on the bike. So it's the other way around. So we're, we're able to get more air in, so to speak, in terms of how much air is coming in per minute with ventilation on the bike, just because we're a lot more stable. You're in that sort of half bent over position, which, I always describe to people is like, if you ever get hit in the stomach with a ball or you get winded, the first action you take is to, to sort of lean forward and open up the airway. So um, you, you just in a much more relaxed position where running wise, you, you tend to, well, you're taking on a bit of impact through the body. So it shortens everything up. It, it sort of tenses everything up as well. Um, you tend to see not quite as high ventilation, but it's sort of, I guess, when we're looking at taking transport utilized from a VO2 perspective, it's, it's just compensated by one of those other factors increasing. So on the run, it's well, we can transport more oxygen through the blood because we're pumping, pumping the blood a little bit quicker, but we might not be breathing in as, as much. Um, in, in most cases that holds, that holds pretty true. And that's probably one of the more common ones, but at, at the end result, like you said, we, we tend to get to very similar VO2 max numbers across both sports. So you might still be a 60 VO2 on the run and 60 on the bike. It's just, how did we get to that? Uh, that's going to be different again, depending on, what sport we're doing yeah and it's partly due to say that the environment that you're in like you said if you're on a bike you're in a stable position ventilation is a voluntary thing like yeah you're going to be uh the more carbon dioxide in that you've got in the bloodstream that you're going to be um, prompted to breathe like naturally you don't have to think about breathing but you can um consciously increase your breathing rate and breathe deeper so you can consciously just get your ventilation as high as it possibly can be like, to, to whatever your max is based on um, you just consciously doing it versus something like heart rate, pulmonary diffusion, um, gases exchange at the muscles. They're all involuntary. You can't control that. You know, people might say you can control your heart rate, but you know, only to an extent. I can't just make my heart rate go to 160 right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll doesn't, that. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't happen. Doesn't um, so yeah, so the body is definitely responding differently to something like running versus cycling. Running is, is uh, you know, you're going to get those faster responses, higher heart rate, higher rates of diffusion, higher and therefore higher oxygen consumption and quicker increase in oxygen consumption versus something like cycling and swimming. So maybe let's move on. And, and look, we're thankful that I think by the time we post this uh, podcast, it'll be about a week until we reopen. So thank God we can get back to doing some normal testing again. But let's have a chat quickly about um, some athletes who have, let's start with successfully, because you don't hear about the unsuccessful ones, who have successfully transitioned from being an elite at one endurance sport and either very good or elite in another endurance sport and maybe um, talk about you know why that's the case. Um, I, might, uh, I might throw to you, Tyler, just to get you involved in the conversation. Uh, a couple of examples of, of, a, of an athlete who's been successful in one and then even better in another, potentially. Uh, 
the most famous Lance Armstrong, I guess. If infamous we, or famous, one of them. Yeah, infamous. Um, yeah, I think if you look into it, uh, well, you've got Lance Armstrong as a very, very good junior triathlete. I think a lot of people, I mean, less people, maybe people looked into it, but maybe it don't understand how yeah. good he was. Um, yeah, really good. And then obviously he did what he did in the cycling world, which might class him as being successful or not, but either way. Richie Port came from a triathlon background. He was a very good junior triathlete. I think the reason maybe we don't hear about a lot of these is because it's maybe happens earlier. So a lot of a lot of very good junior athletes you, you probably don't know about, and they they make their transition and, and make their name for themselves in in other sports. Um, our mate Lionel Sanders was a very good track runner. That's again something that if you're not you're following him or you don't know his history, that he was a very good track runner despite his very not good looking Horrible running mechanics and moves effectively. <laughs> Cam Worse, probably the big one that every time there's an Ironman on, it gets mentioned about four times that he was a rower. So not only is he rowed at the Olympics, he's then had a successful road cycling career and now he's having a very successful Ironman career while actually still riding for Ineos Grenadiers. So he's at the moment racing world tour races on the road and also racing Ironmans and doing very well there. So there's yeah, there's a, there's a range there, and the the pro the pro cyclist coming into Ironman is probably becoming more and more. So Adam Hansen is now making the move across. I think um, Andrew Talansky a few years ago had a crack. I don't I didn't hear much about him, so it mustn't have gone too well. Uh, I think there's been a few Europeans as well that were, were pro cyclists that are now racing Ironman. Um, and we were talking about this a little bit and the difference between what we see at the Commonwealth Games and Olympic triathlon level, and how we seem to see a lot of um, track and field athletes, a lot of gun track runners sort of migrate. I think Eddie Vining is one who is, is racing track at a world level and is now doing some triathlon stuff. But the track runners seem to be able to migrate into shorter triathlon. And part of that's going to be draft legal bikes and a lot of it coming down to the running race. And then the world tour cyclists just seem to migrate very well straight into Ironman, which obviously there's a duration thing there and their, their endurance factor to it and not needing to run as fast. Um, and I suppose Lucy Charles is the other one coming. I mean, she was, was and is a gun swimmer who just missed a couple of Olympic teams as a swimmer and then went on to dominate age group Ironman and now obviously just won a half Ironman World Championship and doing well there. So there's a, quite a few cases of it in the triathlon world, I guess, where you're using three different sports probably makes it a bit easier. You can take a strength in and then and then get good enough at the other two. But um, yeah, there's some, some pretty notable ones off the top of my head. Yeah, also it's a good it's a good example of of, of Lucy Charles being a swimmer because say traditionally it's it's the other way around where it's a runner will move into a it's hard because as you said triathlons a bit of everything you got swimming which is slowest kinetic then you got cycling in the middle and then you got running which is the fastest and we're not saying you have to transition from fast to slow but mo- most of the success stories are now triathlons of a bit of an outlier where you've got all three um, but in Cam Worth's situation rowing is fast kinetic he moves to cycling which is slower kinetic and then to triathlon which is somewhere in the middle so that's a natural progression and, and that works well from a transitional perspective do, do we know any examples of somebody who's moved from um cycling rowing swimming maybe even triathlon to a runner has anyone heard i, I can't gwen, think of anybody gwen jorgensen yeah oh yeah yeah so she like she was obviously dominated the triathlon world, I think one Olympic gold, and is now not had the same level of success. But she had time off and had a kid. But I think she's in the top 
I could be wrong here, but from what I see, she's been the top, I don't know if it's five or 10 female marathon runners now in the United States. So she probably still got a fair bit of time. So she's probably one that's been very successful going from being a triathlete to, but again, you're looking at Olympic, she's going from Olympic distance triathlete where a lot of that comes down to your run so that she's always been a gun runner and yeah. probably good enough in the swim and the bike to hold on and, and then be able to run. So it's a bit different. I don't think you'd see, it'd be a struggle to see an Ironman athlete get into straight into running because the, the speed differential is just so big and you've got that grinding nine hour rather than trying to run a two hour flat marathon is a, a pretty different scenario. Yeah, yeah I, I think the the thing with that is like you got to look at well, where's the advantage going to come from? Like if it was purely physiological, if you're going from a fast kinetic sport down to a slower kinetic, that's going to that's going to win every time against a, a slow kinetic athlete, typically moving up to a faster kinetic. But I think where it gets like triathlon's an interesting one because it gets complicated with as you mentioned before. If you come in as a gun swimmer, if we're looking at long course triathlon, it's like well, if you can get good enough at the bike and run, well, if you put a massive advantage on in the, in the water first out and you just have to hold your lead, I mean, that's a reasonable race strategy sometimes. Um, but then also with the, with some of these pro cyclists who are coming from a typically a slower kinetic sport, again, to something like Ironman, it probably works a lot better than Olympic distance, given that, I mean, the, the waiting, the waiting on the bike is so much greater. I mean, if you can, you can monster the bike leg and be, minutes if not 10 15 minutes in front of others I mean, that, that's even if you're you're running a bit slower than some of the the better runners in the field like, it's still a lot lot of a gap to make up across a marathon if you can at least sustain it for the first part so i think that's where some of the complexity is in terms of transitioning sports and why there's a couple of these outliers but typically the, the pattern is yeah fast fast connect to slow works um, if we're looking at some of those shorter distance races you it'd be very hard to find someone who's been successful at say like road cycling. And now I've transitioned to Olympic distance triathlon, given that really the, the race these days in Olympic distance try is, is basically a 10 K 10 K run because they all swim together and they all ride together. Yeah. And it's on, the, on the Lucy go. Charles one that you spoke about a moment ago, if you watch, if you followed her at all, or you look at her progression, it, it proves what you're saying that, she's been the fastest female swimmer or one of the fastest swimmers full stop since she was an age grouper and her bike, her cycling came on really quick. She was a good cyclist, but it's taken a long time for her run to get to the level it is now and the level it needed to be at. And that like probably only the last 12 months, you, you probably say, oh, she, you know, she'd probably say that she's getting happy with where it is and she's got this competitive run, but there was a long time where she'd, and I guess it's the nature of being that good a swimmer, but she'd swim by herself and then monster the bike by herself and then just hold on for dear life in the run and, and quite often get get run down um, and not be quite as competitive. So that, that sort of goes to what you're saying coming from swimming. The bike came pretty pretty easily, or maybe not easily, but quickly. And the run took a long time and a lot of work to actually get into that, that competitive running for her. And if you look at like this from a specificity perspective, like it's, it's different comparing Ironman or 70.3 with a draft legal race, where if it's a draft legal race, it, as you said, it's whoever's the best runner. Like you've got to hold on in the swim and, and sit in the pack on the bike. And then you've got Gwen, who's a good runner, winning, winning the races in those versus yeah. if it was a, at 70.3 where you can't draft, you know, she might be five or six minutes behind potentially by the time she gets to the run. Maybe she can run into the lead after that. But it's a different scenario when you've got 
a draft legal race, which is essentially you have to be okay swimmer, okay bike, and an awesome runner to win, versus Ironman where you can be, it doesn't really matter. Like you could probably be a good swimmer, but if you're a gun biker like Cam Worth, um, he's not the best runner. He's still a bloody good runner, but you know, he, he wouldn't have Don't to, let him hear you say that. Yeah. Uh, that's right. <laughs> well, what, what's he? What's his? Um, yeah, he know, ran a, He did run like a. I think he ran like a two forty five at Ironman Italy. He looked good, he, but so yeah, he's he's, he's certainly uh, he's not the pure. He's not the Jan Frodeno type runner, but um, but again, and, and probably similar again. When he first came in, that was definitely the narrative for the first few years of his career was he can't swim that well realistically, but his bike was unbelievable, and then his run just wasn't quite there. Um, but then the last, probably the last four or five Ironmans he's done, his run's been as competitive as anyone's. Um, but again, that could be that transfer, just taking time to get his body into that high kinetic energy of running. Um, I know he was a rower, but that was a long time ago. 2004 Olympics is mm. almost 20 years now. Yeah, I, I think you can, you can kind of make some assumptions as well. If you if you're a, if you never run, if you're just a cyclist, let's you swimming as the example. You're swimming, and then you go to running. It's not a it's not a natural progression. Like you've got to get the, it's, it's going from no load or low load to, to high load and high impact. And you've got to, it's going to take some time to adapt to that versus if you go the other way, obviously the swimming technique involved and things like that. But um, yeah, it's going from fast to slower is a, a quicker transition. You can do it in theory quite quickly versus if you go the other way um, you can definitely do it, but there's, there's some work involved and we've seen that through, through a number of examples where they weren't maybe a good runner to start with, but after the, the right amount of training, they were. Um, anything to add, Nick? Anything? Any comments? Well, I think just the one one thing that comes to mind if we if we come back to the Cam Weave case where he came from rowing first. I mean, if you look at lab data of rowers, just thinking through an example, like the typical rowers are pretty big, tall athlete, commonly, but they've got massive absolute VO 2 If you then take one of those athletes and lean them up. I mean, do you think if you have a massive absolute VO2 and then you get five or seven kilos lighter, that's going to send your relative VO2 through the roof. So like that, that's where it's going to be advantageous as well. It's like typically these these really fast kinetic um, type athletes will have those like really high VO2 numbers, which for economy is not not as much of a focus, but it it does definitely help um, when you're transitioning across to be able to come down rather than go up. Why did he stop rowing, Carl? You know? No idea. I haven't looked into it a bit before. I was probably a bit young to be following on with that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, cool. No, fair enough. Awesome. Uh, let's leave it there. So, guys, uh, by the time Money, we release this... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, by the time we release this episode, hopefully it'll be about one week before we can reopen. So, if you do need an appointment, um, just put a link somewhere, Nick. They'll follow the prompts for that. Uh, be good to get back into it. Plenty of racing on the cards. Hopefully, looks like December through to about March is going to be pretty busy for Melbournians anyway. I uh, hope you found today's uh, episode interesting. If you have any questions that you'd like us to cover, email nick at metsperformance.com or send us a DM on Instagram at metsperformance and we'll speak to you on the next one. Hey podcast, Nick from Mets here. Hopefully you enjoyed another great episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. If you want to keep up to date with any future episodes we produce, other content we create here, or just anything that's happening in the lab here in general, be sure to click the link below. Sign up to our weekly updates 
we're going to receive some absolute gold in terms of what's happening in the lab, what are we seeing and observing, and also some of our old content as well that you might have missed to further understand the science behind endurance performance. So if you are interested, make sure you do click the link below, sign up for those weekly updates, and head over to our social media as well. Follow us along at Instagram, at Mets Performance. Head over to Facebook. We have a great YouTube channel as well. Be sure to check out all of our great content that is already up there, but also some of the great stuff that is coming soon. Thanks again. Be sure to share the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed another episode and we'll see you in the next one.